The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. There is a growing number of single Catholic adults. And as we're watching all of our peers, our friends get married at a young age, we start to think, maybe there's something wrong with me. What did I do wrong? We sometimes can create these myths in our head about what it means to be a single Catholic. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. You know, I know a lot of people who are looking for a spouse, right? And you wonder about these different vocations in life. What about being a single Catholic? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I had a producer one time. She was a, a female who, she wanted to get married so bad. She said to me, she says, I, I'm praying, you know, Lord, please, either let me enter religious life or let me get married, but I don't want to be single. That that was that was her, her, she ended up married and having a bunch of kids. But bottom line is, I mean, the single life scares a lot of people. You know, when you think of vocation, the mind typically goes to marriage or religious life. But there's a profound beauty in the single life. And if you're single right now, I know a lot of people who have not been married who are living out the single life. It's a vocation that I think sometimes is overlooked. I mean, being single and Catholic, is, you know, it, it's not a waiting room for another vocation. It's a state of life, right? One that can offer unique gifts and, and service to the church. You know, singleness in the church is really, I think, a call to holiness. And it's a, it's a journey that allows for a particular freedom to love and to serve. And it's an opportunity to, to develop a deep personal relationship with our Lord and to be available in ways that when you're married, you know, or called to some other vacation, you can't, you know, it gives you more time to pray even, you know, not just serve, but, but to, to deepen your relationship with the Lord. But there are challenges, right? There's moments of loneliness, I know. And I, and I feel bad for anyone who's going through this, who's looking for that spouse, and you're lonely, and you just want somebody in your life. Um, there's questions about one's place in the church, you know, that highly values both marriage and religious vocations, right? Um, these are opportunities, I think, for sanctity. Uh, these are opportunities to grow in holiness. And uh, I want to talk about it today, uh, coming up. Uh, you know, I... There's a, um, there's a woman who's going to be joining me in, in just a moment, and um, I think she has a really unique perspective to share on all this. And Maggie, you said we have some audio from her. Let, let's play some of that right now. I'll run this right now. No, not from our guest. Go ahead. This is, can you set it up for me, Maggie? Because I didn't get a chance this to listen to this from, before the show. This uh, is Lillian Fallon. Okay. She's a personality. She's got some great Catholic content on YouTube. Oh, good. Um, this is just a short clip on finding fulfillment as a single person. For as long as I can remember, there is a time in which Catholics are expected to get married. And it usually ends up being between the ages of 21 and 25. Both my sisters got married at 21 and 24. Most of my friends got married right outside of college. So um, I'll never forget one time that I was at a party and it was a woman, she was throwing a party for her daughter who was 20, she was in Catholic college. And she was saying to me, oh, I don't know what's wrong with her. Like she's not dating. How is she gonna meet anybody? If she doesn't meet somebody in college, she's never going to meet somebody after. And there I was standing like, I'm 30 years old and single, and I definitely did not meet anybody in college. So as I was driving home, fuming at the steering wheel, I started having those 
mythical thoughts in my head of, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with me? What did I do? What could I have done to stop this outcome of me still being single? Like I'm messing up my vocation. I've done something wrong. But the more that I thought about it, the more I thought about all of the things that I've experienced in my 20s and all the ways that God has specifically led me to those things as a single person. And I have almost 20 nieces and nephews who I've had the privilege of loving all these years and having a very active role in their lives. And that is important. All those things made me think, wait, God has been present in my life this whole time. He's not forgotten about me. He hasn't abandoned me. And if God has led me to this place right now, there has to be fulfillment in that place. If God leads us anywhere, it's going to be a place where fulfillment is possible. Amen to that. I love that, Maggie. Great clip. Really, I, I laughed at what she said because she says, you know, you went to college and if you don't find your husband there, you're not getting married. I don't know if you felt that way as a woman that went there. I, I worked with a guy who graduated from Steubenville and a university, good Catholic university, right? And he goes, oh yeah, a lot of girls go there for their MRS. I'm like, what's an MRS? I never heard of that. The missus. They look for their husband. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they go there for their missus. Oh my gosh. Like, really? To find their husband. It's wow. hilarious. Was it a struggle for you? Or were you dating at that time in a relationship? I don't know. The... Uh, you know what? I, I didn't really know anyone in college yeah. that would have been worthy of, of marriage. Uh, I did yeah. date here and there. And um, I, you know, I, I've also heard another myth that has mm -hmm. been propagated by people once you get outside of college, people are like, it's so hard to make friends when you're older. And I'm like, what world are you living yeah, no, in? It's really that not that hard. You just, you commune with people, you talk with them, you share interests, yeah. you offer to help them with something. It's really not that hard. So my, I realized at some point that there's a lot of myths that people yeah. have. And so really just find your purpose in life, the yeah. things that make you happy. And I just kept thinking somewhere along the line, God's going to make me bump into someone that sees me for what I'm doing in the world, and they're going to want to join in. Did you ever think about the single vocation? You think, okay, I'm 30-some years oh, old totally. now, and I'm well, not married. I came out of a bad relationship, so maybe I'm meant to be single? Well, I, I will say it, you know, the idea, I, I pondered whether or not I had a vocation because right. at least in that setting, you're still within sort of a community. I could see you doing that. Yeah, totally. totally. I, I I thought about it for a long time. Um, but really the pull for a family is was the strongest for me. Um, and God, you know, that's a beautiful part of your story too, because you got married at, at what age? 34? 34. So, I mean, you know, it, well, first of all, you, people used to get married out of high school, then out of college, then in their mid-20s. And my nieces and nephews are getting married in their 30s. You know, yeah. you're thinking, what's going on? Yeah. You were 34, so. Yeah. Um, but God's timing is perfect. Like, you, Joe is perfect for you. Yeah. And, and Joe had to wait, too. So, yeah. you know, if, if it's intended for you, God will work it out. The rest of that time is is formation. My next guest knows a lot uh, about this. A lot of people struggle identifying their vocation. Uh, they don't feel called to, to religious life, you know, and they don't feel called to the single life. Uh, Anastasia Northrop, she founded the National Catholic Singles Conference in 2005. It's an annual meeting of Catholic singles, and it encourages them in their faith and in their walk with Christ. And you can find more if you're single right now. Check them out at nationalcatholicsingles.com. That's nationalcatholicsingles.com. We'd love to hear your story, your struggle, what you're going through. 
your success story, whatever it may be. You can dial in at 888-914-9149. I'm joined right now by Anastasia. Hey, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Drew. I appreciate the invite. So what what motivated you to start a conference? And were you concerned that no one was going to show up? Uh, well, actually, this through my work with John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and I was running other conferences, kind of like how do you go deeper in Theology of the Body and apply that to different areas of life. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you do something for singles? And I was in my 20s at the time, and I'm like, okay. You know, there's a lot of young adult events going on, you know, at that point in life. And this friend was older, about 40, and he says, well, once you get past the magic young adult cutoff, whatever that happens to be, uh, then there's not much. And so this conference was for singles of all ages, and I wasn't sure, actually, yes, if people would show up or not. And it was the first one. It was before Facebook and you know, Instagram and and all those ways of advertising. And so we had 400 people show up from all over the country. So I thought, oh, wow, I guess this is something that people want. You know, it's interesting, though. We live in a very, um, very different time. You know, I think the Internet has changed a lot of things. You swipe left, you swipe right with your, your apps now. Um, the way we meet and interact have, have changed a lot of things. And people are getting married later. What do you make of that? And the big question for a lot of singles who are listening right now are like, and there are some I know who are in their 40s, right? Maybe even in their 50s who would still like to get married. Um, what advice do you get to them about waiting? And how do you see also this generation today, the way things have changed today? Um, you know, how does that playing out with, with uh, the new technology? Oh, sure. Those are big, <laughs> both big questions there. But I would say, uh, first of all, the that the reasons why people are single, I, I think, are multifaceted. I mean, part of it is the technology. Yes, you can meet your spouse online. My brother met his wife uh, on Catholic Match, and they're happily married with three kids so far. And uh, But it also can, like you said, swipe right, swipe, swipe left. You know, we it helps them promote this attitude of kind of utilitarian or use or looking at the other person as an object, which of course, you know, if you put it in the JP2 terms, you know, the whole idea is that you look at the person as a person, not as an object to use, right? The opposite of love is to, to use somebody. And so I think we have to be very careful, uh, even as like on Catholic sites as well, that our mentality isn't one of just, well, I'm going shopping, you know, for somebody like you have to want to encounter the person. And so I think that's part of it. I mean, part of it too, is that there are a lot of people that would love to be single and I mean, would love to be married, sorry, that are single and didn't expect to be single at the age they're at. I certainly didn't expect to be single this long. Um, that was definitely a surprise. I'm the oldest of nine children. I wanted to be married and have a big family myself. I mean, I just expected that that would happen. Uh, several of my siblings are married and have, you know, many kids. And, and so um, I, I think part of it is that, um, you know, I say, look, it, people say, well, is it God's will that I'm single still? And I said, well, look, you know, you got the world wars. You have women whose spouses and boyfriends, you know, fiancés went off to, to fight and they didn't come back. You know, did God will that there were all of these widows? No, you know, it's his per, permissive will. He allowed it, right? But it's not like his active will. And so sometimes I think that that can be helpful because, yeah, we in certain sense have our, our culture war and we have their casualties of the culture war. Um the the divorce culture. Um, people don't have faith in marriage anymore because they don't see examples. Uh, there's 
so many choices now, or they feel like there's so many choices that some people get paralyzed and say, well, you know, this, this person that I'm dating is pretty nice, but there could be someone better around the corner. You know, I just need to pop online and, you know, see who's next. Uh, and so there's, I mean, there's just a lot of different aspects. And I have a talk called, are we still single? And um, kind of goes into some of that, but uh, we have to be kind of, people want to know what to do to your question there. Um, we have to live in, in the moment, the reality of, okay, this is where God has me in this moment. Was it his active will, permissive will? It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that what am I doing with my gifts and talents in my life now? Because I'm this unique individual. Nobody else can do what I can do. And as you were saying earlier, there's different things that we can offer to the church as single people. Now, is it easy? Absolutely not. You know, like I said, I did not expect to be single for such a long time myself. And it's, it's a pain. You know, we were made for communion. We were made for marriage, like, you know, or like Maggie was saying, the religious life, at least there's a community of people there, you know, we're made for that. And so it's, it's a very difficult situation to be in. But one time a friend of mine said, you know, we were talking and she was married and had three kids. And I was kind of going through the angst of like, you know, I wanted to be married and have a family. And, and she says, you know, Anastasia, that must be a real cross. And when I heard her say that, it was almost like it kind of validated my, my suffering. And, and I thought, okay, it's not just that I want a Lamborghini or something. It's not, you know, it's not some petty thing that I, that I want. I desire marriage. We were made for it. Right. Um, but if it's a real cross, then I can unite that suffering to Christ and it's redemptive. So there's value to my, to my suffering and, and struggle. And so that was really helpful too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> there are a lot of things one can do, but, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to comment on that or, um, I could keep going for sure. <laughs> no, I am, uh, I'm, I'm here listening. I'll take a few calls for you too. Uh, if you want to join us, I only have my guest today, Anastasia Northrup for a few moments today. We're talking about being single and Catholic. I mean, how do you discern that vocation? Many people strive to be married. Some feel called to religious life and some turn both those down. Maybe God's calling you to to a single life. I know it could be a challenge. I, I would think the greatest challenge to that, Anastasia, is is fear of loneliness. Um, but I think if God calls you to any vocation, he gives you a special grace for that vocation. You know, and I, I know in Scripture, the idea of remaining single for the sake of the kingdom is uh, addressed by, I think it's Paul in the first letter of the Corinthians. And uh, there's a real blessing and a real merit to it. It has advantages. But if God calls you to, to parenthood, fatherhood, or singlehood, I mean, whatever it is, he's going to give you the grace, and you've got a mission to fulfill. That's true. I would say, but the, I might challenge you slightly on the whole idea of the single life being a vocation, at least in the same sense as marriage or the committed celibacy. You know, if you've given, like you said, single for the kingdom, and you're a celibate for the kingdom, like you're part of a community, or, you, you know, you made vows, or at least even a personal vow, you know, to God for your celibacy, like that's a complete choice. Um, for your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. It's a it's a vowed state. You've like made your total gift of self in that state. Whereas those of us that are single and wanting to be married, it's mm, is well, it a cross? Do you define it as a cross? Then is it a struggle for you in that respect? I well, for a lot of people, there's some people that have kind of gotten to the point where they're happy where they're at and they're content, yeah. and it's okay if they don't marry. But yeah. I think it's I would say that we all have our baptismal vocation mm -hmm. to live out, the vocation to love, but. I don't know that in our mission, right? Personal mission, but 
I, I think right. for me, when people would say, oh, the single life is a vocation too, I would just get depressed because I was just like, uh, oh dear, does that mean I'd never meet somebody, right. you know? Right. <laughs> so, That's a bummer. Yeah. That's like being called a priesthood and said, oh, crap, I'm going to be a priest. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're right. I, I get you. But at, get least, what... hey, at least you have a title. Yeah, you know, when yeah. I, I was like at one point, I was like, you know, and I, that, you know, I don't mean to be flippant about it all, no. but I remember distinctly thinking, okay, if I'm married, I'm Mrs. Somebody, right? I belong yeah. to somebody. If I'm a nun, I'm a sister, but if I'm a single, I'm nothing. You know, I thought, well, we're supposed to be nothing anyway, you know, humble before God, but isn't it true? You know, like that's a lie there. We're, we're not nothing. We're precious in God's eyes, but you know, it is different. There's a, I think we just need to be honest and acknowledge that there's a difference and that in our single life, even if it's not what we choose or if God calls us to marriage later, there's still value and a gift in it, you know, but it's not really the same as marriage or the Let's do this. Let's take a few phone calls. I know time's going to go quick. I have about 10 minutes with my guest. If you want to join us and you're on hold, I'll do my best to get you on. The number's 888-914-9149. We'll start in Wisconsin. Mary, hi. You're on the air with Anastasia Northrop. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to say a couple of things. So I'm in my mid-50s and single, and I feel like there's a bit of a misconception that single people have more time on their hands than other people because actually we have to do like everything for ourselves. You know, you think keeping up a house, going to work, making dinner, et cetera, et cetera. So there's not a lot of extra time. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say, oh, I'm going to kind of backtrack and say, you know, there's not a lot of extra time to go out and serve others. And, and I'm, personally not Catholic, I'm Protestant, but, um, and I do go to church and I do serve there, but I also don't have, like I said, a lot of extra time to go do additional service projects, et cetera. And then the other thing I wanted to say too, is that as far as what I've experienced, single people kind of get dumped on at work because we don't have a family that we need to get to children's activities and things like that. So a lot of, you know, work yeah. Asks get sort of dumped on us. Yeah. So it's a great point, Mary. I'm so glad you called. Glad you're listening as well. I, I you kind of resonated with me, Anastasia. I, you know, I'm married, so I come home after broadcasting all day, and my wife is home, and yeah, you know, she has dinner ready, right? So I don't have to worry about shopping for the food or cooking the dinner. You know, and there's a lot of things that I guess married life does offer that when you're single can be a time suck, right? You know, having to do everything for yourself and no one to share that load. So I thought that was a, a great point. But your thoughts on what uh, what she had to say? I would I would validate that. I've heard that from, you know, several people too. And I mean, there is a, a we have to do everything ourselves instead of sharing those tasks. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I think it just depends on the person. I know some people do manage to, you know, take more time to, yeah. to volunteer and stuff. But yeah, there is a bigger workload if you know, you're the one, oh, you don't have family. Okay, you can do this. Yeah. Hey, so Mary, did you true. want to get married? Do you still want yeah. to get married? Yes. All right. Well, we will pray for you. I hope that works out. I guess it's never too late. You never know when God's going to put the right person across your path. Jennifer's in Austin, Texas. Jennifer, hi. You're on with Anastasia Northrop. Good afternoon. Hello. I just had a quick comment. And that being, um, I've thought of that, about this before because I have several friends who are well into their 30s or older that truly want to be married, truly want to have children. But with ever since Roe versus Wade, we've aborted over 55 million people. So there's a huge segment of our population that is not living. And those could have been potential spouses. Think of all 
think of all the people that would be here. So I just wonder if if that plays a role as well. Yeah, well, it certainly does, I, I would think. Uh, your thoughts, Anastasia, on that? I mean, she said $55 million. I saw a number recently. I think it's even over that. We're talking like $65 million plus tens of millions of people who would be uh, alive today or are not there. But, but, but your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's one of, like you said, one of the cultural, I mentioned cultural issues, and that is something there. I mean, I didn't find it terribly comforting. Sometimes people are like, oh, well, maybe your spouse got aborted, and like, whatever you do, don't, you know, <laughs> in my list of lines not to say to the single people, um, that's, 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 you know, one of them. But it is a reality, you know, I think in the list of things that could affect why so many people are single, because we definitely have unprecedented numbers yeah. of people who are single. What a sad thought. Jennifer, thank you for calling. I think it's a... A great insight. It really is. Uh, Jim, in, and I'll have to check out the numbers of, of, of abortions in the country versus globally and annually, how often, how many we've seen uh, lose their lives. Jim in Lincoln, Nebraska, thanks for joining us. You're on the air with Anastasia. Well, good afternoon, Drew and Anastasia. And I want to make a comment for the good of the order. I had the privilege of meeting Anastasia a few years ago. Uh, she invited me to come to their conference in Denver. And I was so impressed with the people I saw there. For the young people there and older people that are listening to this, that these conventions they have, they were so reverent. Uh, they were well-dressed. They were polite. There were over 600 of them. Uh, they were a classy group of people. It was a lot of fun. People in their 20s, people in their 60s, and everything in between. And, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. And this is one good way to meet them. So I was just putting in a, a plug for the good of the order that these national conventions that they have are, are just wonderful places to meet people. Jim, thanks. Let's talk about it a little bit, Anastasia. Why not give it a, a plug? And by the way, have people made connections at this Catholic Singles Group? I'm assuming they have, right? They've found future oh, spouses absolutely. there? Yes, people come from all over. And in fact, you know, I have several friends that met their spouse at the conference and even my sister. And they have, they have seven kids now. So that's all these nieces and nephews. As a result of that, but it's not the the main point of the conference. It's not a matchmaking event, but right. it's if you're single and you're Catholic, you might as well go someplace where you're going to meet a lot of other single people that are serious about their faith. You know, because we have the talks for formation, we have mass, adoration, confession opportunities. So it's very, it's almost like a retreat. You know, but then we also have the social activities. We have meals together. We have a dance on Saturday night, and people come from even internationally. I mean, we, I started and titled it the National Catholic Singles Conference, but it's actually international That's great. as far as people who attend. Well, Jim, thank you for, for that. And if people want to get connected to you, what's the best way to do this? Is there a website for this? Nationalcatholicsingles.com. That's simple. Good domain. Check it out. Nationalcatholicsingles.com. Sarah is in Dayton, Ohio. Sarah, good afternoon. Hello there. Hey, Sarah. Um, I have a question for Anastasia. Um, for one, I want to commend her for going on the air and being so open. Um, I have a question about what led you to the path of being signal, and did your Catholic religion have anything to do with that? Did it play a part in why you're signal? Did you have conflicts with religion, with people that you dated in the past? Oh, I mean, there were, there's somebody that I dated that said I was, you know, too Catholic. Um, <laughs> but that, that's what um, my question. I yeah. was I was blessed to to you know date some you know pretty solid Catholics as well. Um, I, I don't know that it led me to being single. I mean, granted, you know, if you want a serious Catholic, that does narrow your, your field, right. Or even a, a, a serious Christian. Right. Um, but I, uh, it's not something I particularly chose. Like I said, I, I really did think I'd be married with a bunch of kids by now. So, um, it's, 
God's mystery <laughs> was what's he allowed, I think. Um, but thank you for your okay. your comments there. Thank I don't you know if I answered your question. Thank uh, thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Julie's in Clovis, New Mexico. Hi, Julie. Hey, thank you for your show. It's thank a beautiful you. day. Thank you. Um, I want to make a statement saying that um, I was single for a long time and Catholic, very dedicated widow, and stayed single for 20, 26 years. Didn't even think about it. Was in my career field. And I've just finally took a leap of faith, met a high school guy. We got married four years in our late 50s, and I'm in my 60s now. We are so happy. Our, our whole family's been healed. The Lord told us good to, for me to keep going back to the faith. Wow. Keep my husband loves the Catholic faith. I've, the rosary is beautiful, the Blessed Mother and everything. And I just wouldn't put my emphasis on trying to find anybody because I never did. And he just dumped one, one, right, good one, right in front <laughs> So. I love it. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate it. Well, you don't, as it goes back to our earlier conversation, doesn't it? Says, you don't know God's timing. I mean, maybe there's a period of, of formation for you. Maybe there's a time you're meant to be single, and, and maybe God will bring somebody across your path. You never really know. So I, yeah, I love it. That's a great it. testimony, though. I appreciate it. And there are people that meet later and are very happy. And I would say Jesus wants us for himself. You know, he wants our hearts for himself Amen. first. So. You know, if that takes time to get there, then, you know, we, and we share that heart with the husband later. That's okay. But we have to remember that Jesus wants him for us for himself. Amen. I love that. Whether we're single or married. Hey, Julie, thanks for the call. Uh, Bridget's in uh, Montgomery, Illinois. Hi, Bridget. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I'm so thankful that you guys are talking about the single situation because I'll start out with the good news. Um, I'm, well, I, the good news isn't that I'm 63, but the good news is that. <laughs> I'm 63 and have peace about my singleness, my single life. Um, But it's been very, very, very difficult. Um, I found no help from the Catholic Church. I found no help from family. Accepting myself as single, always striving, wanting a family, having to go through all my friends and relatives getting married and always the questions coming up. And, you know, when I was dating, oh, when are you going to get married? You know, you're overdue, you know. And um, But as a young girl, third grade, I saw the song of Bernadette, and it struck me immediately. And it was right when I was truly coming into my understanding of Jesus and my place in his life and my life. And the song of Bernadette, I was devastated when she left that young boy that they probably would have married. And I thought, that's a lot to give up. And I kept many of my prayers were, Lord, I don't want to be a saint. I don't want, I can't be a saint. I'm not going to be good at it. And my prayers were on that topic because it would be devastating. Well, I think you're dropping out on us, Bridget, so I'm going to leave you at that point there. And Anastasia, I'm up against the clock, so let me give you final thoughts here. You heard Bridget's beautiful comments. Um, Your thoughts and and maybe your final words for those who perhaps find themselves Catholic or or just single in general and and walking with the Lord. Sure. I would say thank you, Bridget, for sharing your your testimony there. Uh, Yeah, it's difficult, okay? be real. It's difficult being single, but there's a lot of graces. There's a lot of joys that come in that as well. And if we look for our fulfillment in Jesus instead of our state in life, then that is a big thing that helps me uh, with the 
we not only have our conference, but we also have now a lot of online opportunities, study groups, programs, socials, um, a relationship ready program. And so, you know, look for people in your area to connect with. You can look for people, join us, you know, with our, our community, with NCSC and meet other people and keep walking and, you know, hold your head up high and have courage and Jesus is with you and he knows everything you're going through. Well, Anastasia, thank you. I appreciate your time and for your witness and for all you do. If anyone is single and they want to attend your, your conference uh, or check out the website, it's nationalcatholicsingles.com, nationalcatholicsingles.com. Keep up your beautiful witness, Anastasia. Look forward to thank talking you to you so again. Thank you so much, Drew. I appreciate it. All God, right, thank you. God bless you. Got to take a short pause here. Stay with me when we come back. We're going to change gears. There's a lot going on in the nation today, as you might know. I'll give you a look at what's happening in New Hampshire and around the country when I return. Getting you connected. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. You can support Relevant Radio in many ways. Joining a giving society, donating a vehicle you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at relevantradio.com slash property. Former President Donald Trump getting a big boost after Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race, throwing his support behind Trump. That sets the stage for a two-person race between Trump and Nikki Haley. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. And today, all eyes are on the heart of New England and the state of New Hampshire. Every four years, uh, New Hampshire becomes the epicenter of American political life. And uh, it holds really a pivotal role in American in the American electoral process uh, through its first in the nation primary. And the tradition is uh, steeped in, in great history. Voters are going to the polls in New Hampshire. They're voting today. Um, if you are wondering what the difference, let's say, is uh, between, let's say, you know, what happened in Iowa last week and what's going on in the Grand Estate, here it is. I'll give you a quick thumbnail of it. Uh, the caucuses, which were held in Iowa, are where people gather. They get together in these precincts. They talk about the political issues and the party platforms that are going to be discussed you know, at the country political conventions before writing the names of their preferred candidate on a slip of paper. And then primaries, they're like regular elections. You simply go to... Uh, you know, you go to the polls, you cast your ballot, and you vote for your preferred candidate. Uh, Democrats aren't supposed to be having a primary in New Hampshire today. President Joe Biden wanted South Carolina to be the first in the state, right, to have the uh, to have a Democrat primary. And we'll talk to Ed Marcy, who's going to be joining me, a little bit about why. There's a little bit of history there to that. Uh, a lot of people want Joe Biden. They're going to try to write his name in. Uh, we'll see what happens. But the uh, Democratic National Committee canceled the New Hampshire one. Uh, officials in the state objected because it's in their state laws that they have to be the first in the nation. So they're holding it anyway. And this may actually benefit uh, a man who's been on the fringes of discussion. And that's uh, the congressman, Minnesota congressman, Dean Phillips. Phillips is uh, part of the Phillips Vodka family. He decided to run against Biden because of Biden's age. And um, there might be some protest votes from New Hampshire uh, citizens. They may actually vote for him. But what everyone's looking at right now is the Republican side of the equation. Here's a quick look from uh, Fox News on what's now unfolding. Do you have the audio, Maggie? I thought you had it. Maggie had told me a little piece of audio. I thought, did everyone out of the rejoin? Okay. All right. Well, we don't have that up here for you right now. But bottom line is that the former president wants a major showing in today's election and is, is hoping to force Nikki Haley out of the race. And then 
simply coast through the other 48 states during the rest of the primary season. This is uh, Haley's, um, you know, I think this is going to be her big stand. She's she's hoping to actually beat Donald Trump today. And we'll talk about whether or not that's going to be a reality. Could shake things up since Carolina, right? The primary's uh, next, and that's Haley's home state. But the numbers that are coming in right now, even in her home state, don't look very good for her. Let's break it down, and let's talk with Ed Morrissey about it. He's managing editor at hotair.com, and as you know, he often sits behind the mic here for me when I am away. You can check out his uh, wonderful writing and his uh, his program there, the Ed Morrissey Show. Yeah, he's a fill-in for Hugh, Hill, Hugh Hewitt on the Salem Radio Network as well, and it's always good to tap into his political expertise when it comes to election time. And Ed, I'm so grateful for all that you do, both behind the mic and just in terms of your perspective. Welcome back. It's good to talk with you. Good to talk with you, Drew. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of you anyway. So, you know, I, I always love it when I get a chance to be a guest. Yeah, no, it's great talking with you, Ed. And, yeah, yeah, yeah of course, you and I will probably be talking a lot more <laughs> in the months ahead as, as election, uh, as the generals get closer. But I was looking at a real clear politics poll average earlier, and it shows Trump leading today by about 20 points. And in South Carolina, he actually has a bigger lead over over Nikki Haley, a 30-point lead. Um, is this going to be a blowout for Trump? Do you think he's going to dominate here? And what will that do for the Haley campaign? Well, look, I mean, I think one of the questions, there were a couple of questions going into Iowa, right, which was that are the polls really reflecting what the turnout, you know, results are going to be? And um, are... are Republican voters, Republican primary voters interested in a change of leadership. And I think the answer to both of those questions, so the answer to the first question is yes, it turned out that the, the polls are actually pretty, were pretty predictive in Iowa. Yeah. And, and Iowa is tougher to poll hmm. than New Hampshire because caucuses are, are difficult to predict because you never know who's going to show up right. for the meetings. I mean, you were just explaining this, but caucuses, you don't even get a chance to cast a ballot unless you show up at se- by seven o'clock at some local you know, location, and then they close the doors, they count everybody that's in there, and then you start just having these conversations, and you have to stick around to the end if you want your vote to count and all that kind of thing. Balloting is is much simpler. You just go to the polling place, cast a ballot, and leave. That's also more predictable. And um, so if the polls were pretty close in Iowa, and they were, I suspect that what you're seeing here, especially with the gaps that we're seeing, is that the polls are probably getting the general thrust of what's going to happen on the ground in New Hampshire, in South Carolina. Nevada's actually in between. And uh, Nevada is a weird case because uh, Haley opted to go in for the primary in Nevada, um, but everybody else was in the caucus, and the caucus is where you get your delegates. So uh, Nevada's kind of a wash right now. There's a month to go between uh, today's, um, today's primary in New Hampshire and the South Carolina primary. And so whoever wins or whatever the results are, there's a month to decide what it is that you want to do. I suspect though, that if Trump has a big blowout win in New Hampshire, and that's certainly what the polls are telling us, I don't know that Nikki Haley wants to go into South Carolina and suffer another big blowout win in her backyard. And, and you know, know she's saying, I'm going to stay in, I'm going to stay in, I'm going to stay in, but that's what everybody says right before they get out. Yeah, it's (laughs) true. That's so true. (laughs) DeSantis said the same thing. So is this her last stand? I got to think it is. And I mean, if, if for some reason she, there, she pulls off a shocking, a shockingly close finish, I, I don't think she even has to win. But if she's within four or five points of Trump, then I think she's got plenty of room to go to South Carolina and try to, 
and try to beat him in South Carolina. But here's the thing. New Hampshire is more ideologically aligned to um, Nikki Haley than, than it would normally be considered to Donald Trump. Donald mm-hmm. Trump's always had trouble in New Hampshire. And in part because New Hampshire, New Hampshire voters aren't really big in the whole make America great again populism on the right that Donald Trump is leading. Um, and it's not all that terribly enamored of Bernie Sanders' right. populism either on the left. Uh, they tend to be more establishment, more you know, careful, I guess is what you can call New Hampshire voters, which makes them an interesting contrast to Iowa and South Carolina. Trump's type of populism is very popular in South Carolina, as it is throughout most of the South. And so if he's going to score a big win in New Hampshire and he scored a big win in Iowa, I think you can get a pretty good idea that what's really going on here is that the Republican Party voters, Republican primary voters, are really casting their their choices as a referendum on Donald Trump. Do they still want him to be the incumbent? And right now, it looks like a majority of Republican primary voters um, want that if you look at the polls and you look at the results in Iowa. And we'll see the re- results tonight. It's really an amazing story, though. I'm sure yeah, people look back at this. Every time the man gets indicted, his his numbers go up even more. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. And who knows what's going to happen in the months ahead. But, you know, before we talk more about what's coming, let me open the phones too. If you want to join us, and my guest today is Ed Morrissey. The number is 888 Feel free to sound off or ask your question. Ed, explain New Hampshire. If you could. I mean, uh, Democrats are not supposed to be having a primary, as I said, in New Hampshire, right? Uh, Right. President Biden, um, he wanted South Carolina to be the first in the state. That was kind of a thumb in the eye to New Hampshire citizens. Uh, The Democratic Committee, National Committee there, canceled the uh, the New Hampshire one. A lot of people want to write his name in, as I was saying, too. I don't know whether that's going to happen. Uh, What happened here, and uh, why doesn't the president really care about how this shakes out? Well, uh, you know, New Hampshire has always had kind of a rap on it that it's not very representative, right? It's it's extremely uh, homogenous. It's, you know, almost entirely white, and it's not really representative of the Democratic Party's, yeah. um, you know, vision of itself. The reason why South Carolina, why Joe Biden's trying to boost South Carolina is because South Carolina is responsible for his nomination. I mean, James Clyburn rescued Joe Biden's candidacy four years ago in South Carolina. And this is just simply Joe Biden, you know, paying back the debt. Certainly it's understandable. Um, But this is part of that whole conversation that both parties have been having as to whether or not Iowa and New Hampshire really make sense as the start of a primary uh, season. Uh, I mean, this is only something that's been around for about 40 years, maybe 50 years or so. It's not always been like this. And the the people who support Iowa and New Hampshire being uh, first in line will tell you that it's because they really require retail politics. You have to show up, you have to talk to people, uh, and it, they're small enough to where candidates can do that, whereas larger states, which might be more representative, really have to just rely on large rallies and, um, and TV and radio advertising. And you know, there's some... There's, there's some sense that is made by that, but I think that there's a lot of frustration out there that two of the smallest states uh, in terms of population are the ones that really set the tone for presidential elections. It was really weird. I remember the elections um, four years ago, you know, when you had Buttigieg and Klobuchar and, and all the rest of them. Um, you know, it, Biden, he, he lost those, right? And he goes to South Carolina and suddenly he wins that everybody else drops out. 
You know, and it, it was almost weird. It was almost like the, the script w was written. How do you think he's going to do in uh, in New Hampshire? Or not New Hampshire, but South Carolina? Uh, Joe Biden? Yeah. How, how's he? Oh, yeah. He'll, I mean, he's going he's gonna to own these. Yeah. I mean, Dean Phillips, uh, Dean Phillips is from the Twin Cities. I've seen Dean Phillips a little bit. I mean, he's certainly a capable politician. He's a capable uh, representative. How's a, you know, a, a congressman. But... Um, yeah, he's he's no threat to to Joe Biden. And, and RFK and all these other fringe type. Of, I, I don't. Well, RFK, he's not running as a Democrat anymore. No, he's independent. No, no, you're yet. right, independent. But do you, do you see any threat to the Biden run? No, no. Not from I, I really don't see that. I don't really see that. If you got a no labels ticket, I think that there's a real possibility that the votes that would drain would come more from Biden than it would, than it would from Trump. Interesting. But um, but I don't think uh, Robert Kennedy is going to drain anything seriously off of this. I think most Americans are comfortable with the two-party process and understand that there's going to be a binary choice yeah. and that anything uh, casting a ballot for anything other than the binary choice is really uh, just sort of tweaking the binary choice yeah. in a less meaningful manner. There's also talk, you know, and I, I just buzz. There's thinking that, you know, Joe Biden's... Uh, greatest challenge is his age, right? The way he walks, the way he talks, everything along those lines, that there might be a switch at the Democratic National Convention. You just think that's that's rumor stuff, that he's in for the long haul? I, I don't see how you get away with that. I, frankly, I don't see how you get away with it. And I think the reason why is, I mean, certainly you could do that. A party, I mean, party delegates can, can kind of do what they want to do. They actually write the rules as one of the very first things that they do when they get to the convention. Now that's obviously with a whole lot of people that have been, you know, the delegates that are going to show up there are Joe Biden delegates, right? Those are the people who, who are activists for Joe Biden. So, that, so the delegates at the convention are going to be almost all Joe Biden activists. Um, the problem with that is that if you had some sort of a reason to remove Joe Biden from the ticket, whether it be health, whether it be, you know, mental capacity, um, or just Joe Biden deciding he didn't want to do it, you don't, they would almost be forced to go with Kamala Harris. Yeah. And Kamala Harris is terrible <laughs> as a candidate. I mean, the, the, four years ago, she proved that. And over the last three years as vice president, she's proved that she's terrible at this. Yeah. And uh, and and that makes it that makes it very difficult for Democrats to come up with an alternative. Now, if Kamala Harris decided she didn't want to do it, and Joe Biden didn't want to do it, then yes. But then what you get into is a open convention, which is every journalist and blogger's dream, <laughs> but has never has never come to pass. hasn't been it's hasn't so you know has not come to pass. And I, I think uh, 1976 Republicans and actually 1984 Democrats wow. um, were the last open conventions where the nomination was actually settled at the convention. Otherwise, it's just pro forma. Yeah, that would be something else, wouldn't it? Hey, Ed, you know how this works. I have to take a short pause. When yep. we come back, let's grab a few phone calls. John in St. Louis, Dee Dee in Phoenix, everyone else will grab your calls if you want to get in. I only have a few minutes left with my guest, Ed Morrissey. We're taking a look at New Hampshire and really the field of uh, political candidates today, and you're more than welcome to join us. Ask your question or sound off at 888 914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you like what Drew and the guest had to say? Get caught up on this conversation and all the others by going to the relevant radio archives. Just search for The Drew Mariani Show. Hey, today we'd like to thank Tom, who is listening in Illinois, for donating his 1978 Slick Craft Boat. 
You can join Tom and thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. What I'll tell you is I know that the DeSantis voters, they love America and they wanted a new generational leader and they wanted a conservative that was going to go in there and clean up government. And that's what we're going to do. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That, of course, was Nikki Haley. Big day for her in New Hampshire. We'll see how things shake out. And uh, taking a look at it with me today is Ed Morrissey. I hope you'll check him out. He's online at uh, hotair.com. Great resource for you. I appreciate both the writing and, and Ed's program. You can check him out as well. And hotair.com is the best place to go. Hotair.com. And uh, let's jump into the phone calls, too. I do want to hear uh, your take on 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 Haley and a whole lot of other things, too. We're trying to get DeSantis voters. But maybe let's start there, and I'll jump into the phones. Who? Where do you think DeSantis voters are going to go? Are they going to tilt towards Trump, I'm assuming, or will... Are these voters who are saying, hey, I don't want Trump, I like DeSantis, so I'm going to now go into Haley's camp? Well, and I think if you take a look at the tracking polls in New Hampshire, it looks like they kind of split, right? Um, that they split between um, um, Haley and um, DeSantis, you know, but a little bit more to, sorry, between Haley and Trump, more to, uh, more to Trump. And some of that was also Vivek Ramaswamy getting yep. out. Yep. And, of course, Chris Christie was getting out at the same time, and his voters definitely would have gone to Haley. But, you know, Ron DeSantis was running as, you know, the MAGA candidate if you wanted somebody else other than Trump as the leader. That's what his, that's what his pitch was, and uh, it became very clear that the that MAGA voters wanted to stay, stay with Trump. It's the reason why he got out so quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you're going to get a ton of, um, of, um, DeSantis voters to cross over to what Haley was doing uh, in part because they're just ideologically, there's a difference there. And also in part because Haley and DeSantis really had, were going toe to toe with each other. And I think that they're going to be reluctant to support Haley after yeah. some of the stuff that she did with DeSantis at the, at the debates. Yeah, that's well said. John is, uh, he's been waiting for a while. He's in St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, John, you're on the air with Ed. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, I, I think uh, what America is looking for now is what it doesn't have is that religion. Uh, Trump won the first time because he was, he embraced life unabashedly he had that moment mm -hmm. with hillary when he said you know it's a baby right. he lost the second time because joe biden embraced uh choice as a or abortion as a, a religion and and trump didn't didn't engage he did not you know assert okay. life on principle i don't think that Unless he does, he can win. I, I don't think. Um, well, John, thanks. Let me let Ed respond to you on that point. I mean, the president has been, you know, one of the most pro-life presidents I think we've had. But in a recent interview he did, he kind of dialed it back a little bit because we saw what happened in the midterms. I like your take on this. The life issues, what the... Uh, uh, the, the the Dems are going to run on. They say, hey, you know, if you have reproductive freedom is, is at stake right now, and they're going to run on abortion. Nikki Haley had, you know, had that 
mediate, you know, she had that position where, hey, we need to win the battles if we want to ultimately win the war, so we might have to compromise. Should somebody like Trump be all in on it? I mean, DeSantis was. He's dialed it back. How, how does life play out in this election, and what? how do you assess these two candidates' position when it comes to life, Haley and, and Trump? Well, I mean, I, it depends on when you're talking about Trump, right? Because he's kind of been laying some of the blame for 2022 off on the pro-life movement. Right. Um, he hasn't done that lately, but he was doing it um, a few months ago. I think in part because he was trying to avoid criticism that his interventions were part of the problem in the 2022 midterms. Um, I, I, I suspect that he's going to want to embrace the pro-life movement. I don't think that that was what the issue was in 2020, though. The issue in 2020 was COVID and the the chaotic way in which um, Donald Trump continued to operate through the COVID crisis. And I think people, mm -hmm. um, I think it really turned off a lot of people. And that yeah. was part of what uh, created such a big, huge uh, turnout among, well, really among both parties. But um, uh, I don't see that as being a big issue um, in terms of Trump, uh, Trump not embracing um, the pro-life thing, but I do think your caller is right that Republicans still haven't really figured out how to address that. They need to pay more attention yeah. to March for Life um, yeah. speakers, I think. No kidding. Hey, John, thank you for your call. Dee Dee's in Phoenix, Arizona. Dee Dee, hi, you're on the air with Ed Morrissey. Uh, Mr. Morrissey, uh, do you happen to have a political um, historical opinion as to why the United States has never had a female president? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's not that we haven't had candidates who could have done the job. And and look, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Nikki Haley, um, had she run a somewhat different campaign, might have gotten a little bit more traction. But again, Donald Trump is really the elephant in the room, literally speaking, almost literally speaking. Uh, this is really this primary was about um, his incumbency and not about any of the other candidates. Yeah. I, you know, I think if she ran in a different cycle, I think she could have won the nomination. And I think that there I think that I think that we're going to have a, a a female president here, and I would suspect it's going to be within the next decade. It's just right. there's too many good women in both parties that are moving up moving up the ranks. All right, Carolyn in St. Charles, Illinois. You have to make it quick. I only have a moment or two left. Good afternoon. Yes, uh, my issue is that they don't verify the voters. People can vote by mail now. How do we know that that person actually voted? Ed, your thoughts on mail-in voting? I, I, it's terrible. I've never liked it. I, I, my feeling on voting is that it should all be done on the same day on yeah, paper ballots that can be counted. I, I mean, I think that we have introduced so much ambiguity and risk into voting systems uh, in a number of different ways, and not just mail-in ballots, that, that we really need to uh, reflect on what's going to make voters confident in the results. Yeah. Ed, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm up against the clock. I'm so grateful for your insight. If people want to follow you, it's uh, Ed Marcy uh, at uh, hotair.com, I'm assuming, or uh, just hotair.com, best place to Ed, go. Ed, Ed at hotair.com is my email address. Okay. Feel free to email me. And, of course, just go to hotair.com for all the commentary. That sounds great. Keep up your good work. I really appreciate it. I know you and I will be talking again soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That's uh, Ed Marcy again, Hot Air. Com. It is a good resource, especially coming into the political cycle here. You'll appreciate uh, seeing that. Uh, Kel Clark is coming right up, so stay tuned for him. You can join Father Rocky for the rosary tonight. I would encourage you, uh, you to pray, especially for our country, <laughs> uh, with him on the rosary. It's a good solution to some of these problems. Hey, until our paths get crossed tomorrow, I promise you, I'll be praying for you. Say a prayer for me. Remember, God loves you, right? There's a better day. I love you, too. Have a good day. We'll talk tomorrow.